and you will recognize the story brilliantly put together by the chosen before we actually preach on this one we'll get our first slide thanks girls I want you to think of why God did such an amazing thing as this and before we share my message from Numbers 21 which is starting at verse 5 I have a scripture I just felt nudging in my heart it's from Psalm 40 at verse 12 don't turn to it, just listen Psalm 40 and verse 12 and for those who are tuning in online listening for your video or your YouTube later on I want you to hear the word of God this morning many a person has come to church and they are so crushed by their load of sins they are reflected in Psalm 40 and verse 12 Lord my sins have overtaken me that I cannot look up again my sins have overtaken me Psalm 40 and verse 12 and my sins have so crushed me that I cannot look up in a congregation this size and this age range people coming to church will often sometimes feel under condemnation and guilt they don't feel worthy of praising some of you have sat here this morning saying I'd love to praise like the person beside me but I can't do that I'm not worthy but good news so we're going to take numbers 21 and if you have the weight of your sins so crushing you that you can't look up I have encouragement and good news for you this morning I don't want to preach about your sins I want to preach about the solution I want you to see that God way back in the Old Testament long before Jesus had died on the cross got Moses to make a bronze serpent let's go to the scripture numbers 21 5 I just recently came back from uh, Saudi Arabia and it's like a moonscape it's like a Martian landscape it's so desolate and it was so desolate that the people spoke against God and Moses and they said why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness there's no bread there is no water and we hate this miserable manna can you hear the venom in their voice we loathe this manna we've lived on it for 40 best part of 40 years by the time we get out of this we loathe this manna the venom that you hear is almost like the venom of the snake you're going to hear in the next chapter next slide and Moses went on his face before the Lord but the Lord said I cannot take this anymore so he sent among them burning fiery serpents and they bit the people and the Israelites died many of them so the people came to Moses and said we've sinned we've spoken against the Lord and against Moses pray to the Lord so that he will remove the serpents from us you're going out to get the manna it's the day morning celebration every morning you've had manna and your husband who's been part of the rebellion goes out to get his manna he takes out his little earthenware bowl he gets a spatula he goes to scoop the manna off the plant and on the rock where it's been deposited and as he puts his hand out like that <coughs> a snake bites him on the arm his arms swell his arms burn and he dies on the spot back in the tent 
the lady and the children are waiting and they don't get any manna for the day and next slide put yourself in their shoes so Moses prayed for the people and so the Lord said to Moses get a fiery serpent of bronze hammer it out put it on a pole and everyone who is bitten will live when he looks at it what a crazy unreasonable solution it is not about reason it is about faith you just heard it and when you look at that here hidden in the Old Testament is the cross long before anybody even knew about it and it took Jesus to explain next slide what it was going to be and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life amazing passage we take it for granted next slide I want you to notice something special about this God's answer to your sin is to look up and out sin self and Satan wants you to look in and down ever felt guilty what was the first response of Adam and Eve when they knew they'd sinned made themselves coats uh, fig leaf aprons kid anybody of you had children and you've caught your kid doing something wrong you'll know the response what's the first thing that happens you cover your eyes you drop your eyes you get shifty like Bob Hawke looking left and right you shrink inside yourself you drop your head and shame stops you looking up we could all illustrate that next slide I want to give you three things that you should not look at when you're under a load of your sin first one don't look to atheism what does atheism mean it means none and God atheism gets rid of sin by getting rid of God I hope you like the illustration two fish in a goldfish bowl surrounded by water one is a seeker and one is an atheist and the seeker says uh, tell me about the water and the atheist fish says water no such thing brilliant humor atheism tries to get away the, bo the load of sin and desperation in life by trying to get rid of God but I've got good news God can't be gotten rid of quite that easily while we're on the track about atheism let me go to the next slide atheism it's the belief that there was nothing and nothing happened to nothing and then nothing magically exploded for no reason creating everything and then a bunch of everything magically rearranged itself for no reason whatsoever into self-replicating bits which turned into dinosaurs perfect common sense if you would like to know the constitution of the Australian Labour Party because we're going to have a referendum soon we're going to be voting on the Constitution just read the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 24 to 32 and you'll see the manifesto of the Communist Labour Party wrapped up in the book of Romans who turning against God decided they did not need God and God gave them up to uncleanness and the emptiness of their own minds and that is why 
Calvin, and I'm a good Calvinist today, he said, man's mind is like a store of idolatry and superstition, so much so that if a man what believes his own mind, it's certain that he will forsake God and forge some idol in his own brain. And that is what's happening with our nation. We are seeing our nation split into two camps, good and evil. I'm not saying that everybody on the one side is totally good and totally bad, or the other side is totally good or totally bad. What I'm saying is light is getting lighter and dark is getting darker. And we as Christians will eventually pay the price for that unless we have a major revival in our nation. Next thing you should not look to. Number two, don't look to religion. Look to Christ. What's the difference? Jesus is God reaching down to man. Religion is man searching for God and trying to reach up and find God. And in that reach, I include Christendom, Christianity, and I include Judaism, as well as Islam, all the rest of them, because if you don't meet Christ personally, Christianity can be as much a religion of works as it is a Jew trying to keep the law and trying to fast and pray. What actually happens when you believe in Christ for the very first time is something happens in here that no other religion can ever fix or create. And next slide. This is one thing that no religion can do. Paul had a revelation of it. He said, the moment you believe, something happens in your heart. I have been crucified with Christ. I am buried with him and I am risen with him. Now, I'd love to spend a whole message just on this one thought, but grab a hold of this. No religion can do this. The moment you believe and you get baptized, it symbolizes what God did in your heart and you are so identified with Christ that you are actually, if you were nailed to the cross yourself and you've been so identified with Christ positionally that you are buried with Christ and you rise again with Christ. Now, how many of you got baptized in water by immersion? The bulk of you. Let me say this to anybody who hasn't been baptized by immersion. Now, I realize we've got churches and different people of different persuasions here, but why do we get baptized in water and come up out of the water? Because it symbolizes that we have been buried with Christ. Sprinkling won't do it. I once listened to a preacher once. He said, look, if I was in the desert, I didn't have any water. He said, I'd bury you up to your neck in sand. I'd get a bucket of sand. I'd pour it over your head and say, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Ethiopian eunuch realized he was in the middle of the desert. But as they're riding the chariot down the road, what happens? He says, look, here is water. Let me get baptized. Now, Josh, I give you an honorable mention. You mentioned that you were going to baptize and you baptized a couple. Who has the right to baptize a new convert? Believers, Ananias baptized Paul, and your elders in your church, or you in a group, anywhere. I got baptized in water when I was always 16. We went down the river uh, to the uh, edge of Moonee Beach, north of Coffs Harbour. A whole bunch of kids pulled up in canoes wondering what was going on, and I'm really, really self-conscious, and I got baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it changed something in my life. I didn't understand all that this verse meant. The understanding came later. 
Now, baptism means that you've decided to follow Christ. And if you have not been baptized by immersion, or you were sprinkled as a child, I encourage you to speak to your elders or your pastors or your brother or sister in Christ and ask them about it. My son, Adam, now 36 and a financial advisor, went to university down in Brisbane and he went to a, a non-Christian, no, so it was a Christian group, and they said to him, because they came from lots of different churches, they said, you do not have to get baptised by immersion in water, you don't even have to get baptised to be a Christian. And my son was talking to me a week later and he said, Dad, is that right? Because you might think this is strange for a pastor's kid have to ask a question like that because we never forced baptism on our kids. We wanted them to make a choice as a believing adult and not because they were a pastor's kid, PKs they call it. And I said, son, they're wrong. The Bible says, repent, believe and be baptised. That's why they didn't even ask them if they wanted to get baptised in the day of Pentecost, they just baptised them, 3,000 of them. That would have been a fantastic baptismal service. All the deacons would have been running a panic and trying to organise it all, but they got baptised. Now, I admit that they probably understood what baptism meant better than we do today. And sometimes there's wisdom in a new convert having a bit of instruction before they get baptised. But even if they don't know all the Galatians and Roman scriptures, they still are being obedient to Christ. So I said to my son, can you be a Christian without getting baptised? I said, you can, by today's standards, but you will be a disobedient Christian. And baptism is about lordship, not about your personal preferences. That's why our commands, get baptised. So if I've offended anybody, I don't apologise. I'm simply telling you what the Word of God says. And you're not, don't wrestle it out with me, wrestle it out with the Bible. Let's go to the next slide. Now, the third thing you should not look to when you've been bitten by a serpent of condemnation and you're in the desert and you're dying under guilt, don't look to yourself. Third thing, don't try to beat sin by yourself. How many people here have been Christians for more than five years? Show of hands. How many more than 10 years? 15 years? 20 years? 30 years? Anybody been a Christian for 40 years? Anybody been 45? We're slimming down. But I tell you what, when you are that age of 45 years a Christian, you will realize the truth of this slide. Go back to our slide. I hope you love the sad sense of my Irish humor of the person swimming in the water and somebody above him saying, don't look, don't look, don't look down. <laughs> Micah said, who is a God like you who forgives wickedness so he said therefore will I what look to the Lord on the cross that's the only way to beat it now I want to give you a long thought and next slide there are two traps for a disciple wanting to follow Jesus Christ this is a long winding narrow road I think it's a brilliant picture on one side is a ditch called legalism on the other side is a ditch called license. Let me talk about those two, because if you've been a Christian for a few years, you probably have been in both these ditches at some point. Legalism, the effort to please God by what you do, by gritting your teeth, making a promise to God and saying, God, I'll never do that again, cross my heart and hope to die. Probably not a good vow. Legalism is trying to do stuff to please God. You're back in the religious set of trying to please God by what you do. 
the longer I live, the more I realize I cannot please God in myself. In my flesh dwells no good thing, Paul said. Until the day you die, you will struggle against either of these two ditches. When I was a young boy of 16, I'm young, I'm hormonal, I'm a normal human teenager. I'm 16 and I'm having wrestling in my mind. I haven't done major transgressions, let me assure you of that. At that point, my whole head is just full of condemnation and guilt because I am more conscious of my guilt than I'm conscious of God's solution. And so I make these wonderful promises to God. And as I'm walking along the headland at Macaulay's headland at Coffs Harbour, I'm on my push bike, I'm looking out at the sea, and suddenly the Spirit of God just takes Galatians 5 and verse 16. If you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And it was like a light went on, and I remembered going, and I just dropped the burden. I knew that I couldn't please God by myself. I did think when I was a young teenage kid and I looked at... Um, some of the older Christians in the church and thought, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful when you get to 35 years and you won't have any more temptations? Well, uh, was that naive or what? Now, the second ditch, license, is when you do what you want. License or liberty. I got into a mess. God, I don't care anymore what you say, what the people say. I don't care what my mother says, what my father says, what my friends say. And you say, and you throw it all in. And you fall into the ditch even further. But license, liberty and excess will not get you back on the narrow path. Let's go to the next slide. There's only one answer. If you fall into either of those two ditches, don't waste your time trying to figure out, how did I get here? Anybody ever gone that, done that? Look at your navel and say, om. You try to figure out what happened in my past life. If you're a believer in past lives, but not Christian, by the way. What happened to me? What did my mother do? What did my father do? What happened to me? If you sit that ditch, if you fit into that ditch, you'll forever be trying to find stuff in your past. Now, there is a place for healing, and some people are more fractured than others. Some people come to Christ and they just breeze into the kingdom of God. Others come to Christ and they're so fractured that you wouldn't know where to start if you're trying to put them together. But whatever way you come to Christ, remember that the only way to get back on the path give Christ your hand let him take your hand bring you up out of the ditch put you on the path and keep on walking keep on walking that quote is from Rick Joyner it's not original with me but he knows exactly what that's been now have you noticed that sometimes let's talk about legalism for a moment some people get into legalism and they try to strive and please God and do everything they can to please God and so you'll get seven-day Adventists trying to keep the law. You'll get Jews trying to keep the Torah. You'll have Christians starting cults. And before the Lord comes back, you'll probably see no end of Christian cults, all trying to please God by being obedient to the cult leader, Jim Jones, Jonestown, or trying to please this or trying to do that. But you cannot get out of the ditch by legalism, and you can't get out of the ditch by the sensuality of your life. You've got to give everything in you and look up and live. How would you feel if you were the Israelite in the wilderness? Next slide. The Catholics, I've just changed from being a Calvinist to a Catholic, have a wonderful saying. I don't know if anybody ever learnt Latin, 
but it says Salvatore Ambilando Dei, which means as you walk with God, it shall be solved. Have you come to Christ and you've looked at yourself and you think, I'm okay with most things, but there's just one besetting sin. So Psalmist David said, Lord, remove from me the sin of presumption so that I may be innocent from the great transgression. Now, if anybody could have written that prayer and prayed it with more humility, it must have been David. Imagine being the man who's written every one of those psalms and you've fallen into the pits and you write Psalm 32 and you write Psalm 51. Oh God, be merciful to me. Forgive mine iniquity and my transgression. And he's so conscious he writes two psalms about it. But he realizes something only changes when you give Christ your hand, you walk on the narrow road, and as you walk with God, let me give you hope, it shall be solved. I'm not here to ask what is your besetting sin. I have enough of my own to worry about. I don't need to know about your sins. I didn't come here to preach about my sins or about your sins. I came here to give you hope. One of the things about a good preacher is that when he gives a message like this, he just doesn't give condemnation. He gives you hope. I was just speaking with a friend the other day about prophecy from Corinthians. He that prophesies speaks unto men for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, you may not know the scripture very well. If you're not Pentecostal, that may not mean much to you because you haven't studied the chapter. But let me put it into simple English. I was in the Solomon Islands out on the western province. And I came to the scripture, and I wanted to know, how, how do you know when somebody is prophesying from their heart, from their own mind, or hearing from God? And I said, let's take you to 1 Corinthians and chapters 14, 12, 13, 14. And it said in wonderful King James English, uh, if you prophesy and you hear from God and you give a message, it edifies, exhorts, and comforts. And I said to the Lord, Lord, give me a word of wisdom so that I can say to this group of people who are some of the most lovely people I've ever met in my life, and the English was not their first language. And it suddenly just hit me with the force like this. If you prophesy, you lift up, you look up, you build up. So if somebody gives you a prophecy, thus saying, Verily saith the Lord, and I, the Lord, say unto thee, my children, and gives you all the King James English, it doesn't matter on the content, it doesn't matter on the style, but what does matter is, does it look up, help you look up, does it build you up, does it lift you up? And that is what the Word of God is all about. I'm running out of cotton, we better go to the next slide. What happens if you mess up? In Jeremiah, he changes the picture and he says you're like a clay vessel. And I just want to give you the good news. God's hand is in the process as you're going through. So when you fail and when you don't do the right thing and when you disappoint God and you say, God, I've let the team down, I want you to remember this. God's hand is in the process. And our if I was doing a graph in mathematics, I'd say we get born again here and we're on an upward path towards the Lord and we never, ever fail. But for most of us, it's a bit more like this. We're clutching in places, we're winning in places, we're losing in some. Why? Because it's part of God's process to bring you to the end of yourself so that you look up and live. And when you get bitten by the snake of condemnation, don't look to atheism, religion, and what was that other one? 
So, ah, yeah, thank you. There's only one answer. God's hand is in the process. Let's go to the next slide. If you were watching Sodom and Gomorrah getting burnt, you'd be tempted to say, what kind of God is this, wouldn't you? But if you look to God, you'll get the right perspective. So Moses is writing the story of it, and he remembers Abraham's words. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? At the moment, Israel is getting bombed and attacked. There's good people on both sides. There's bad people on both sides. I can't answer all of that. All I know is this. Let me give you a, a syllogism. I've shared it once before. If you first look at God and his character, you will make the right conclusions about man, pain, and his problems. But if you look at man, evil, and problems, then you're going to make the wrong conclusions about God. You're going to make the wrong conclusions about nature and your future and war. Now that deserves a bit of reflection. So shall we pause for a moment and think about that? You've got unanswered questions. Don't start with man. Start with God. Look up and live. Don't look inside and look down. The most important thing I could ever tell you is that the best answer I know is Jesus Christ. And it's not a, an it. It's not a religious thing. It's a personal relationship. And next slide. In the crucifixion lies the answers to everything we all search for. I'll go through them with you. God's eternal purposes, the reason for your existence, your identity, your gifts, your salvation, your holiness, your daily walk with God, and your eternal destiny. And that's why, and I love this, hasn't the artist done a brilliant graphic looking up and there's, there's the cross. In the cross lies the answers to all our problems. And that's why the first thing that happens when you get into a cult is they get rid of the cross and they get rid of the blood. But the best answer I can give you today is look up and live. No matter, next slide, and our final one. In whatever season of life, whether you're a young Christian trying to get out from the guilt of your sin or an older Christian struggling to live a better life, look up and live. Now, are we ready to do business with God? Would you like just to shut yourself in with the Lord for a moment and just, just reflect? How have you been handling it? And maybe there are people today in our congregation you haven't given your life to Christ and you'd like to do that and you realize as strange and wonderful as the solution is, I've got to look up and see Christ on the cross. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to make a simple appeal. Who would like to just say, Lord, I would like to believe and say, I'm looking to you. I want to give my life to you. I'm going to say, Lord, today I make a choice. I will not look inside. I'm going to look up to you. Take a moment. And if you've made that decision, wonderful. Let's go to my second response. We need to let go and let God. So I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You may pray this aloud if you wish. If you don't like it, please don't pray it. Don't commit perjury. And we're going to pray a simple prayer of lordship to Christ, a simple prayer of forgiveness, and a very simple prayer of surrendering to the cross. Are you ready?
Please pray it with me if you wish. Lord Jesus, I look to you and I look up to the cross. I cannot beat sin by myself and I'm sorry for trying and ignoring your solution. I thank you for changing my life, for giving me the faith to trust you and look to Christ as the only solution. So Lord, I lay down my burden of sin today. I put aside the legalism and trying to please you by law. And I recognize my own license and liberty cannot do it. And so I reach up my hand, Lord, and I'll take yours. Pull me back up onto the narrow path and let me walk with you. I'm praying in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.